Hello, folks. We are still in season two. And this week, we are going to be going back to one of our original series, our myth-busting series. This week, our topic is the MCAT, so you can expect future episodes on the DAT as well. So we're going to really focus on the big two that have the these really intensive entrance exams. There are some other ones, but they are less common, less intensive. So we're really just going to focus on the big two, MCAT and DAT in this series. But I'm excited for us to break down this huge behemoth of an exam and talk about some of the myths and realities of this really important thing. So let's go ahead and get started this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. This is Kimberly Johnson. I'm here with my colleague, John Moses Bronson. Hello. We're going to talk to you today about the MCAT, the um, Medical College Admissions Test. Yeah. Please note there is no S at the end of MCAT. <laughs> it is yes. not your MCATs. No. Hopefully it is just one. <laughs> Ideally, right? Yes, that's the goal. Yeah, so... This episode, we're really breaking down a lot of the myths around the exam. And I think right off the bat is uh, before we do anything else, this is not a test to like test to like, let me just take it to see how it goes. And no what trial it's like. runs here. You do not want to do that. Trial runs are for your practice tests. Oh, yeah. That's a huge. If that is one thing that I can dispel the rumors and myths on. Do not take this test until you are 100% ready. Right. So that's where we're starting from. We're not taking this test until we're ready. But let's get some more information about it. All right. So let's start with the basics here. Mm -hmm. um, let me refresh my memory here. So yeah. I think the important thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about taking the MCAT mm -hmm. is that it's not just a little sit down of an hour, right? No. So we're looking at committing seven and a half hours yeah. to sitting for this exam. It's long. It's long. That is brutal. Uh, we don't regularly sit and actively use our brains to that degree for such mm -hmm. a long time. It takes yeah. practice and a lot of preparation to get to the point where you can successfully do that. Yeah. If you put it in the context of a work day, most standard work days are eight hours. You're like, oh, well, this is only seven and a half. It's a half an hour shorter than that. But you're not getting breaks. You're not taking You're not like having a meal in the middle to like collect your thoughts and come back to it. It is an onslaught of information that no just goes on and on. Colleague chit chat. No. Can't lean back in your seat and stretch and go yeah. open your window and breathe for a second or yeah. go get a coffee across the street at the hub. Yeah, you can't even stretch your legs. Anything no, that you can't. do that's like not taking the test can be viewed as what are they doing? Are they cheating? Mm -hmm. What are they doing? And as someone who has proctored for very large administrations of standardized tests like the MCAT or the um, bar exam, for mm -hmm. example, they 
have a lot of people there dedicated to making sure that this is a fair process for mm-hmm. everyone. So they're keeping their eye out for any possible cheating, for anyone shifting in their seat too much, mm-hmm. you know, turning their eyes too much one direction or another. Um, anyone who just seems a little bit out of sorts, they're keeping an eye on all of that. And it's not that they just assume that everyone is cheating, but it wouldn't be fair to everyone who's not cheating to be sort of lackadaisical about that yeah yeah they're they're intense because for really the the super minority right the overwhelming majority of people are there to really get a sense of how well have i mastered this material but there are people who are trying to game the system and here i probably put a bunch of fear in you that you can't lean back in your seat or yawn or (laughs) Or stretch your head or anything (laughs) of course you can do normal human things but when they um it just gets their attention. And of course it does because yeah. it's a very quiet room mm-hmm. with everybody very, very focused. So, you know, it's just like in those, like you've been in a test situation before where somebody mm-hmm. gets a little fidgety. It catches your attention just because it's so quiet in the room. Yeah. So um, no one's going to jump down your throat for, for yawning or stretching or anything yeah. like that. But if you're wearing a hat, you like tip the brim down as you're stretching and you stare up into the brim. You maybe don't hat. do that. Yeah. We, maybe we don't do those things. <laughs> right. So, uh, and they do take a lot of measures to ensure um, a sort of equal playing ground. So um, for those who need accommodations, they can uh, file for accommodations um, for their test testing day. Um, Everyone has to leave their cell phones uh, in a little locker, all of their extra things. You're only allowed to take in sort of the um, approved items. Mm -hmm. And so there aren't very many opportunities for anyone to disrupt that setting. Yeah. Again, it's it's really just to even the playing field. Yes. They want to make things as fair as possible in a process that has unfairness sort of cooked into it. it they're, they're trying to still make it as fair as they can. So to give you a better sense of what to expect, there are 528 total points. So it's scored out of 528. Yep. Um, it is multiple choice. Mm-hmm. You cannot use a calculator. No. No calculators. And here's the big one. Ready? It is more than just science-based questions. <gasps> no. Panic. <laughs> so, like half of it. You're thinking when you come in for advising appointments with me and I'm like, well, what about a sociology course? And you're like, Kimberly, why am I going to take a sociology course? Mm-hmm. Why? And you're like, well, you know, for MCAT prep. And you look at me again. Yeah. What in the world are you talking about? <laughs> well, there is... An entire section of your MCAT exam that is called psychology and sociology. In fact, um, the non-science portion of the test is about 50% of the exam itself. So there's also um, what is called in in its abbreviated format the CARS section, which is critical analysis and reasoning. Um, And then we have our science sections, which are biology and biochemistry Mm -hmm. um, and chemistry and physics. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of content, right? One thing we want to get out the gate is that do I feel the MCAT is fair? No, I don't think it's fair. However, these schools are investing a lot in you and in your future. And so these are the rules that we're playing by. 
So understanding, hey, this isn't like super fair, but it is the rules that we're playing in. I hope that just gives you some context of like why we give such extreme advice sometimes on this, because we want to set you up for the best chance of success that we possibly can. And hopefully by utilizing your Penn State resources, Mm -hmm. taking the classes that we recommend, going to office hours, Mm -hmm. um, building relationships with your TAs and with your LAs, you are able to give yourself a really good starting point in your MCAT preparation. Um, So we want you to be able to use the university resources that we all have access to um, to give you the biggest boost up before you start the more individualized process of that study period directly before the MCAT. Yeah. So Kimberly, is there like one best set of courses to take for everyone at Penn State to prepare them for the MCAT? How about yes and no? Mm, So as advisors, we have outlined the Penn State courses that you need to take to cover each and every topic that is present on the MCAT as Mm. it is currently written. That being said, there are variations in how you might approach covering these topics based off of your course of study. So, for example, um, a BMB major isn't Mm -hmm. going to necessarily start off with Bio 110. Yeah. Um, Our engineering students are going to take a slightly different path to getting their physiology. Yeah. And And more than just physiology. Their cell biology is different. Their physics physics is different because they take these other suite of courses that incorporate those concepts in a different way. I love when an engineering student comes to me in a panic because they don't have time to take all of the recommended physics courses. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just hope this is, let's just slow down. I have a feeling that you know far more about physics. Well, and also that content that you think you're not getting by not taking 213 and 214 is in engineering mechanics 210. Right. So what I mean to say is you're going to be covering it in a way that is unique to your degree. Yes. And you might actually be covering it in far more detail than the students in the recommended physics classes Mm -hmm. simply because your subject of study requires you to have a greater and more in-depth knowledge of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the big takeaway here is that there's no universal right way to do it. Mm -hmm. We help guide you based on what academic path you're on, what courses sort of line up best with the requirements that you have in your programs. And so we try and do our best to give you an as individualized individualized of a plan as possible because there is no 100% right way to do this. There's lots of different ways and it's all about your path. And the thing is, is like even if you're doing something that might look non-traditional on paper, these schools have seen that before. And even if it you're applying to a school that maybe perhaps hasn't seen it before, if there's questions on it, That's something our office can help you with. We can provide a letter of explanation saying, hey, this student's academic background is going to differ from the norm of what you have routinely expected. Here's what we know to be true about these courses and comparing them to the more traditional things that you might see. So let's talk a little bit about what the logistics okay. and the ins and outs Great. of AMCAT. And then we'll we'll fill in a little bit around that yeah. with how we get to that point. So Yeah, so we're really starting at the end, right? We're starting at the end. So 
like how, what is what is the test that we're actually going to sit for? Now we're giving you the stuff like right before it of like all of that logistic goodies. Okay. Let's say I've taken my prerequisite courses. Yes. I'm sort of in the last of them at the moment. Correct. And so I know that MCAT is approaching. Yes. Um, what does the sign up or registration for MCAT look like? Yeah. So the registration for the MCAT comes in waves. And it depends on when you personally are ready to take the test and when you plan on applying. I will like blow students' minds when they're like, I'm thinking about a gap year, but I don't know how that's going to impact my MCAT timing. And I say, so you're going from having a very narrow window to a super broad window of when you can do this and you have a lot of flexibility. There's no one right time for each student, but you should take it after you've completed all of these prereq courses and have been, had the time to amply prepare. So in terms of like when you take it, some students are going to take it in January. Some are going to take it in April or May. Some might take it over the summer. Some might take it in the fall. And it's all dependent on when you are applying and what your timeline looks like. So there's no one best time. There's no one time that you should be doing this. I'm going to challenge you. Uh, that's fair. Nuance is important. I tend to say the, the time that you sit for your MCAT mm -hmm. should have zero relationship to when you apply. It should have yeah. everything to do with your prerequisites, your preparation period, and when you think you're ready. Yeah. Because I find so often that someone will choose their application timeline and then try to fit MCAT mm. into that timeline. And then they don't find themselves with enough time or the right timing mm -hmm. to perform as well on the MCAT as they could. I think they've done it backwards. And so, like, when I'm saying that you have more flexibility, it's because you have more time to decide I am ready, mm -hmm. right? Because you should be comfortable to sit the MCAT before you're like, I'm going to apply. Oh, yeah. I love it when that a student, comfort should come first. I love when a student says, I'm going to take a gap year. Uh -huh. I'm going to take some extra time other than what, you know, mm -hmm. this one, two, three, boom, start medical school plan is. Yep. And they say, but I finished my prerequisites. I think I'm going to study for, you know, three and a half, four months over the course of the summer and then mm -hmm. sit for the exam right before the school year or my new job starts in August. Yep. And I love that because they take MCAT off of their plate and suddenly the timeline of when they're going to go into the application cycle feels a lot less stressful. Yeah. Because this huge thing that in many ways directs the whole process yeah. is done. Yeah. Because – are there students that get into medical school with a wide range of MCAT scores? Absolutely. Do the students with higher scores get in more frequently? Yeah. <laughs> Do they experience probably a little less anxiety? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so we want you to be set up to be able to score the best that you can and not carry that stress because like maybe you make a miscalculation in your preparation if you've already submitted your application, 
oftentimes you feel too invested to be able to take a step back and say, I'm not ready to do this. And so you force yourself to take it before you're truly ready or you convince yourself that you were ready. It, it's such a difficult thing to decision make around. And it's great to have that conversation with somebody else to challenge you on like, why are you taking it now? Are you really ready? Are you having the time necessary? Right? Like some students are just really good in like a more relaxed environment, but you put them in the actual test and like all of that just like empties out the back of their head. Like there's a hole back there. We see that too often, I think. Yeah. Um, a lot of our students are practice testing super well and are super confident. And then when the test rolls around, it's literally like their brain got dumped. I'd love to look at some data to see if there's a difference in test practice test scores and actual test scores in students who have already submitted a primary application mm. and students who have not yet committed to an application timeline. Yeah. Cause just thinking about that, like those students that have already submitted an application, the stress on their shoulders, the pressure of that exam is so much greater because it's going to influence what they just spent thousands of dollars on. And that's a lot for any human being. Yeah. We're going back to logistics. The scheduling for a new year yeah. of test dates mm -hmm. usually opens in October. Yeah. And those are for the early year test dates. And that October period includes a pre-registration pre period. Mm -hmm. So they kind of know that for those of you who are hoping to get an early test date, you're feeling antsy, you want to get mm -hmm. that first choice date and location. And so they actually allow you to go in. Um, for like a week before the opening date and input all of your information that they require in order to mm -hmm. register you for an MCAT date. Yep. And so it's all ready to go. So you can just click go essentially when it opens up. Yeah. So this is a big thing for our students to know ahead of time is that you can be proactive here. You can en enhance and increase your chances of getting that ideal test date and time that works really well for you just by being a little bit more prepared. Mm -hmm. And there's also a feature that they offer. So mm -hmm. there's an option. So if you didn't get your first choice of location and date, mm -hmm. you can um, opt in to be notified mm -hmm. if a spot becomes available at your top choice date and location. Yeah. Let's talk about the importance of date and location. Because, yeah. you know, it seems like the MCAT folks agree that date and location are important to people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the MCAT's not like the GRE or the DAT um, that are offered at a whole bunch of sort of regular yeah. Prometric-like test sites. Yeah, because Prometric is, is pretty prolific. There's mm -hmm. tons of them. They do a whole host of different tests. And so it's much easier to like access those sign up for a date an hour from home 30 minutes yeah. from home there's one downtown available to you to at choose state college from. exactly there's a prometric yeah. testing center so mcat um 
is a little more independent. Yeah. There are far fewer testing locations mm -hmm. and very specific sets of test dates. Yep. And within the year, they have blackout periods where there are no test dates because they are very careful about their quality control and evaluating the data that they're collecting mm -hmm. to ensure that this process is as fair as it can be. Yeah. So that means that... Sometimes we have to travel to get to our MCAT exam. Yeah. And um, that introduces another layer of complexity, another layer of stress. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a huge myth is like, I'll show up in the morning and it'll be fine. You're interested. You are introducing a ton of variables into that problem by sh planning to get there in the morning. We do encourage if you're traveling any more than like an hour to arrive probably the day before and stay in the area overnight because things like traffic happen, traffic accidents happen, construction that was not previously listed on travel plans will resume, right? And you don't know what the impacts to your travel will look like. There are variables that you cannot resolve. A lot of our students have also prepared under very specific circumstances. Yep. So they might start all of their practice tests at the same time of day mm -hmm. that their actual test is going to begin. Your body behaves differently if you have to wake up two hours earlier than you normally do. Yep. What are you going to eat? Mm -hmm. Is that going to upset your stomach? Are you going to need to have a snack before you actually start because you've been awake for so much longer? Yep. These are all things that our students will track as they're preparing for the MCAT when they're being very particular about all of this because they realize that their physical well-being, their mental well-being, mm -hmm. all plays very strongly into their performance. Yeah. And from a psychological standpoint, you want to recreate the situation that you are going to find yourself in because it helps to release, relieve stress and anxiety when you approach this exam to have to be in those familiar settings, to have those familiar behaviors. So we're creatures of habit. When I was applying for this job mm -hmm. and I was coming to interview, um, I drove from New York by myself mm -hmm. the day before my interview. Mm -hmm. And my mother-in-law actually insisted that she drive me to Rittenauer mm -hmm. the evening before oh. so that we did the drive here in Little State College yeah. <laughs> um, so that I saw the door where I was going to be walking in. She knew where she was going to drop me off and pick me up yeah. so that it was all a known quantity before the actual day of. Yeah. So when I walked into written hour that first day, she even got out of the car and wanted to see if the door was unlocked. So you <laughs> find the room and make sure that I was comfortable setting all of my stuff up and everything like that. It was very sweet of her. I felt like it was overkill in the moment. But I do think that anytime you're doing something high stakes or brand new, it helps to know as much about the situation as possible yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. I agree. I know, and don't hate me for saying this, because I know cost is often a barrier, and I um, understand what that is like, but we have had students, instead of scheduling one night at a hotel, scheduling two nights ahead of time at a hotel, because they're worried that 
your first night in sleeping in a new environment is an restful night. And yeah. so they'll schedule two nights to make sure that they're getting their rest. Oh, so you can see the degree that people go to yeah. to sort of calm those test day nerves. Yeah. And so you can't do everything. You no. have to choose what is accessible and best for you. If you know that you have less financial resources, maybe look for a testing center where you have friends or family that you can stay with to remove at least that barrier, right? You'll still have that travel cost, but you have eliminated some of those other associated costs. And then also if you're staying with a friend or family, you can more easily do that longer term sort of ease in. Yes. And I think that that is there that's likely one of the reasons why there is that notify me tool mm -hmm. for the MCAT registration is because it is going to relieve a, a big burden for a lot of people if they can get that first choice date yeah. and location. Agreed. I mean, we have students who are working between, you know, with dates that are falling in between previously scheduled family events. Yeah. And so there are restrictions for them there. So mm -hmm. you just never know what factors might be playing into yeah. that timing decision. Yeah. And to sort of expand a little bit further, not just about your own personal timing, but what the timing of your test says in the cycle. So we have all these students that are doing that thing that we don't like, where and they're applying and then choosing a test date to sort of fit that. Maybe, John, before we hit on this, okay. let's just clarify. Sure. It takes 30 to 35 days to get your scores back. Yeah, it's quite so a bit of time. Now we know that we're working with a bit of a, like a month before we yeah. get our scores back. Yeah. And so if you are not feeling like you're going to be ready to take this test until July, that means that your scores are coming back in August at the earliest. Tens of thousands of people who are your competition have submitted completed applications by that time frame, and no admissions officers even looking at your application. It really puts you at a massive disadvantage to have that test pull your review back so far because it's it's holding up when your application could be finished being verified because that score is an important part of the application. Now, it won't stop you from being verified because the MCAT does its own independent verification, but you won't be a completed applicant. I'm going to pull you back again. I, okay. Sometimes Are you telling fun. me that I can submit my primary application without an MCAT score? Uh, yes. So this is a very important thing. So many students wait. They're like, I'm going to wait until I have my test score to apply. Please don't do that. <laughs> if you're really sure that you're going to do well and that you're ready to apply, but you need to have that a bit of a later date. One, July, I think is a bit too late for a cycle. I, it's I, I, I've seen so few students be successful when they did that, like maybe one. And they did really great <laughs> on the MCAT. Um, but what we encourage students to do is sort of like a soft entry, which is to apply to a single school that like you care about and, and want to do a good job with, but perhaps isn't in your top tier of schools of where you would ideally like to go. And submit that application to just a single school because then your application starts to get verified while you're still waiting on that score. And then 
if your score is not what you want it to be and you're like, yo, dog, I need to put a huge amount of breaks on this, you withdraw your application and you haven't sunk thousands of dollars into an application, which is a great idea. Still several hundred. Still several hundred. So but let's you... be clear here. <laughs> yes. The primary application is expensive, but it is far less expensive than were you to yes. add your whole school list and go through the whole process. Yes, because we've had students who have put in three, $4,000 into application say, I don't want to apply with this score. It's not representative of my abilities or my competitiveness. And that's a... That, that money is sunk. That's a sunk cost at that point. And you when can't it, go back. When it comes to how your application is perceived, mm-hmm. being verified with one school or 20 schools is exactly the same. Yes. You're just waiting on an MCAT score. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you know what that score is, then you can expand your school list. Um, and, you know, that's a little bit funny because we always say don't, don't choose your schools based off of your MCAT score. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little bit of a, it's like a security blanket, like just a little bit of a confidence boost that you fall within a general range of what they're looking for, but it isn't going to be the only thing that they're using to make their admissions decisions. No, but it does influence it. It is very important. You know, when we look at the statistics from these admissions officers, your MCAT score is one of the most important things that they look at. It's not the only important thing by any stretch, but it is incredibly important. It is very predictive of your success. And yep. you want to fall within the norm when it comes to the academic academic ability of mm-hmm. your, your colleagues and your peers. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So we know that that timing is important. There's this other idea of timing around how long the scores are valid for. So uh, I have talked to students that are like, you know, I'm going to take like three or four gap years, um, but I'm just going to go ahead and take my MCAT now. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Slow. slow, Let's slow here because what happens with test scores after a certain number of years? They are no longer valid. Yeah. And what's challenging here and very frustrating is that there's no universal rule for how long they're valid for. It's a school by school determination. One thing I do tell my students is go by your application time, mm-hmm. not your acceptance time. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that as long as your scores are valid and within date at the time that you apply, yeah. if they were to quote unquote expire nine months later, you when you're matriculating, yeah. that is less relevant. Yeah, it's yeah, 100% because the primary application is a snapshot of who you were at that one particular time. Correct. And your score was still valid at that snapshot. Correct. Yes. So and that can be challenging. So it's it's far easier when it comes to sort of academic preparation to take something like two gap years. Mm-hmm. When we go beyond two gap years is when we begin to introduce a little bit of a question yeah. around um, your prerequisites and your test scores. Yeah. So if schools see that some of your prerequisite coursework is now, so we've taken, let's say, three years off of school. We mm-hmm. took Bio 110 in our first year. That's seven years at this point. And that's sort of the point where schools are thinking, 
you know, I don't know how fresh this information is anymore. When they come in for that first day, how are they going to feel compared to individuals who have just graduated? Or only taken a single year, right? Mm -hmm. And so now a lot of schools will sort of play around with some exceptions to this too. Like if you're doing something clinically based, some schools waive that expiration. So again, this is a thing that's really individual to schools because some of them have five years, some have 10 year expirations. So this is something that you need to consider in combination with your MCAT because your MCAT is a pretty good proxy for how you would have performed in these areas and your knowledge of these areas. If you've been teaching, um, high school biology for four years, then maybe (laughs) suddenly your prerequisites are less of an issue because you've been actively involved in the field. Yeah. Um, These are certain, certainly nuances that Mm -hmm. will be taken into consideration. Yeah. I had a student run into similar issues. He was teaching high school chemistry at a charter school. And um, he's like, my, my courses are too old. And I said, we'll reach out to your top like eight or nine schools and see what they say. All of them said, Hey, you're teaching in a life science, you're fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, I mean, chemistry is a physical science, but still. Okay, so we've gone through the logistics yeah. of what is MCAT. What does it look like? Yeah. What about my preparation? So I know I need these prerequisites. Yeah. I know I need to put in, let's say, 350-ish hours of preparation yes. or three-ish months of full-time study. Mm-hmm. What do we know from experience Mm -hmm. are things that have helped our students prepare? Yeah. So I think that there is, there's no like perfect amount of time, but we can tell you where sort of like the tip of the bell curve is in terms of time used to the highest results. And we know that the tip of that bell curve exists between 250 and 300 hours of dedicated time. I'm aspirational. (laughs) That's a lot. It is a lot. But I think sometimes it helps to think towards the longer side. Yeah. um, Because I I see over and over again that students cut themselves short on prep time. Yeah. Because if you – let's like break down what this means. So we work 40 hours a week. We're supposed to work 40 hours a week. We often will work more hours than that. But we're supposed to work 40. If you are studying for 40 hours a week – I don't suggest that. That's a lot. You will burn out. But let's say you're doing 40 hours a week. Just to get to 200 hours, that's still five weeks. That's over a month of full-time equivalent work. So when students are saying like, oh, I'm going to take three months. And I'm like, you know, that means that you're studying like 15 to 20 hours a week. They're like, I don't have time for that. I'm like, I don't think that you've given yourself enough time to prepare for the test. You let, you don't want to force this. You don't want to rush this. This is not a thing to rush. And I think that's a pretty universal concept in the application. We don't want to rush our personal statements. We don't want to rush the work and activities. Nothing in here should feel forced or like you're having to do it before you're like, just like deliriously confident. No. I want you to be so unrealistically confident that you look crazy. Your application cycle is the one that comes up next once you hit that point. Yeah. When you hit that point, then you say, okay, what is the next application cycle? That's my application cycle. Yeah. that's And that's a hard t- thing to sort of like 
self-assess, right? Because thankfully a lot of these students have tons of confidence and you should have tons of confidence because my gosh, this is not easy. (laughs) I think it's a a very adult skill too. Yeah. You know, it isn't when I finish 11th grade, I then go on to 12th grade. Mm -hmm. It's, I feel like I've met these markers in my job Mm -hmm. and I have exceeded expectations in XYZ point. Mm -hmm. And as I have reached that marker, Mm -hmm. I am going to schedule a meeting with my supervisor to talk about what's next for me career wise. What is the promotion that I should be working towards? But you don't walk into that office underprepared. Yeah. That's such a great way to sort of, frame this is that like the MCAT is like you asking for that promotion or salary increase. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to have the skills to back it up. Mm-hmm. You can't just walk in empty handed and, and, and hope that they're going to see your pot- potential. Yeah. No, you have to deliver on the potential. It's mm-hmm. the whole point of it. Okay, good. So when we are talking with students about best met- methods for preparing. Yes, timing is super, super important. But also what you use to study is super, super important. You know, Kimberly really likes students to be checking in with themselves on this active versus passive learning. So why don't you talk a little bit about what that looks like and how it's different for the yeah. listeners? I get worried when I have a student come in and they say, well, I'm, I'm preparing for MCAT. Um, it's coming up in five weeks. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, well, that's exciting. Tell me what you've been doing. And they're like, well, I'm almost all the way through my content review. Mm-hmm. And I say, cool, what does content review look like for you? And I say, well, I've been reading through all of the material and I've been taking some notes for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have to pause everything. Yep. And I say, have you done a practice test? Mm-hmm. Have you had some sort of check-in with yourself to see if this reading and note-taking mm-hmm. is resulting in learning and mm-hmm. retaining of material? Yeah. Have you done any practice tests, uh, practice questions? Yeah. So maybe once you read through that, if, mm-hmm. if you gain confidence from first reading through it and saying, okay, I've got my eyes on all of these different topics, mm-hmm. now sit down. And fill in the blanks. Yeah. Bl- like white out some words in the text mm-hmm. or check out UWorld and see what sort of questions there are out there. Yeah. Or go look at the MCAT Khan Academy materials. Yeah. Do something that requires you to be actively engaged in the process because you can very easily feel like you're doing tons of studying mm-hmm. and you haven't done any. Yeah. One thing that I sort of walk my students through is these test prep resources, they're developed to sort of build you on the related material that builds up to the higher level and higher order concepts. If that's how you're studying, your brain is literally walking through all of the prerequisite material before you get to the higher order stuff. When you actually take the exam, you are bouncing around all throughout that and you're not having the refresher on the lower order content before you go into the higher order content. So the importance of these practice tests is that they are forcing you to very quickly shift gears and move to different parts of these orders of concepts 
and to remember exceptions and all of these things and to do the proper analysis. That is the most difficult skill. I will have so many students who are brilliant, so intelligent, know the concepts, but switching back and forth between them and having to do that gear shifting is so difficult because if you're learning biochemistry in a huge block, you're learning all of these related concepts. But if you're switching from biochemistry to biodiversity, to genetics, to something that uses um, a physiology concept as a base, but is an application of something else, that is a very different challenge for a student and for anybody. It's very hard. If I think about, okay, I've got a ball being thrown at me 10 times. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see my success rate at catching it. Mm-hmm. It is one mental activity to have that ball thrown at me 10 times from the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. It is a very different mental task to have that ball thrown from 10 different spots and yeah. angles and not know which way it's coming from. Yeah. If you think about it, it's like if on oh, I'm going to do a baseball reference, it's going to be great. Right. There's a catcher and a pitcher. That ball is always coming from the same place. As the catcher, I know where that ball is coming from. Now there's a bunch of different pitches, but I can get very good at receiving it from that one particular direction. If everybody else in the field starts randomly throwing me balls from different places, my job is really freaking hard. My catching I'm skills gonna are going to seem very different. <laughs> I'm going to not do so great yes. because my frame has gone from this like column, this silo. And I'm now having to look much more expansively. And that's the challenge that a lot of our students run into. And I think a really great resource that is approachable and something that you can just use all the time are Mm -hmm. Anki flashcards that Mm -hmm. you can use on your phone because it uses a model of repetition. I forget what it's called because this is not my area of expertise, but it's going to... You know the name it's of it? It's recall and retrieval. But it's going to show me the um, what I get. The, the, start, the sorts of things that I'm getting correct mm-hmm. is going to show me less frequently, mm-hmm. but it's never adaptive. take out of rotation. Yes. Because it still wants you to be able to jump in and get it right when it does mm-hmm. come at you. But it's going to also insert more frequently the things that you're needing yeah, to work Yeah, it's on. a bit of machine learning. Um, you know, it is a bit of artificial intelligence in that it's a de- it's adjusting its approach based on the information that you're providing it. And I always think when you're taking your practice test, you don't just take a practice test and then go on to study more. You look at your practice test. You say, okay, here are all of the different topics that were covered in this week's practice test. Mm-hmm. What did I get right? Why did I get it right? What did I get wrong? Why did I get it wrong? We don't want the things that you're getting right one week to turn into the things that you're getting wrong the next week because you completely abandoned them because, oh, I've already mastered it. Yeah. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it just because there's so much content. Your brain only has so much space to like be able to recall in this short period of time. So we've said practice tests a million times and you're yeah. thinking, okay, well, where do these practice tests come from? Uh-huh. Yeah. They can be very expensive depending on the service that you're providing them through. Or they can be free. There are a couple <laughs> – a lot of test press services will give you a free one. I always say – Start out with an AAMC one yep. to get your baseline. 
Now I know where I started. I know what it looks like. I know what to Mm -hmm. expect. Now I'm going to fill in the blanks with some of these free ones. And then in my last five to six weeks, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do boom, 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 AAMC, 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 because AAMC is the most predictive of your actual test day score. If you are getting 497, 497, Mm -hmm. 498, 497 on those last AAMC practice tests, when you walk into that exam, expect that 30 to 35 days later, you will get somewhere between a 494 and a 497. Yep. Do not be surprised by that. You will not magically pull a 505. No, it, it's so incredibly rare for a student to be like, I scored so much better than I practice test. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Right. The other thing that I'll say is I recently had a student do this and I need you all to not do this. You should be taking different practice tests, not the same one over and over again. Hold on. Yes, Kimberly. I that was also, I'm leaving. <laughs> that was also my head. I was like, this is not the test that you're going to take. This is an example of the test. So they're like, you get to I, practice your routine and then they turn on the music and you just like, <laughs> like, I know this question. A, 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 B, B, C, D, C. Oh, no. So I was like, that's not helping you. That's a good practice. Like, like th- that's good study technique is to look at what you did wrong. But you have to take different practice tests. Um, it's good to use a variety of resources. Do you know if they're still keeping Khan Academy free this year with all the MCAT resources? I had assumed, but now that you say it out loud. I didn't hear them saying that they were going to get rid of it. I know that the AAMC said, hey, Khan Academy, let me give you some information. You know what? We or need to money. touch on fee assistance. Yes. Now that you say AAMC materials. Yes. So, Kimberly, this is expensive. What if I can't afford it? Let's put in that application for fee assistance. Yes. The AMC offers fee assistance. Yep. It also covers your primary application and up to the average number of schools for that cycle. Yep. Which is now, usually around 15. Right. And you're thinking, okay, but I want to go to, I want to apply to DO schools. DO schools still require you to take the MCAT. And so you can still apply for the AAMC fee assistance program. Um, but you can also apply for the ACOMIS. You would do both in that case. The ACOM. ACOM. But um, ACOMIS does not cover your MCAT prep materials. Correct. Which the AAMC does. So if you get the fee assistance, um, they will cover the... I'm going to try to get this right because things shift, but the cost of your exam, mm-hmm. they will provide a certain amount of prep materials, Correct. Um, question banks. Mm-hmm. And so you're utilizing the free resources that are out there on the internet. Mm-hmm. You're coming to our office and saying, hey, do you guys have any um, study books, materials that I could take home that past students have given back to the office because they no longer need them. Hint, hint. Yes, we usually do. Yep. <laughs> uh, we have a great relationship with our Hershey students, our students in Hershey. Um, and every summer we collaborate with them to get a whole bunch of MCAT 
prep books here at University Park so that you can come to our office in written hour and pick up a set. We also try to raffle off a set of those at all of the um, major application events. Yep. And even some of our club first meetings of the year. So fee assistance is a great way to get access to some of the paid study materials that you wouldn't ordinarily have access to. And I'll be quite honest with you. I don't recommend any specific prep, test Mm -hmm. prep company. I do not think that there's a one size fits all. No. I do not think that all of them are going to give you exactly what you need to do well Mm -hmm. in the exam. And I think that with between AAMC materials, free practice test, mm-hmm. free Jack Weston cars prep materials, mm-hmm. maybe a subscription to Anki mm-hmm. for your phone, um, that you can very well cover your bases and perform mm-hmm. quite well on the MCAT without yeah. expending a huge amount of money for yeah. test prep. And if you do have more financial resources, like of course doing the additional stuff in yeah. addition to that base is always going to be more helpful. U world would be my next go-to if you were going to spend some money. Yeah. And depending on like what your particular needs are, if you have huge content gap, some test prep companies are better than others. If you are pretty good on the content, but you struggle with how to approach exams in the most efficient and effective way, other test press companies are better at preparing you for that. So knowing and asking the right questions of yourself of like, I know I know the content, I need to be able to get faster and be able to like strategize around certain questions, different test prep companies are going to be able to provide that to you better. So there's no one size fits all. And it's always a great opportunity to have a conversation with our office. I'll also say that if you perhaps don't get all of the assistance, you can still buy discounted AAMC materials through our office. So this hopefully won't be like huge news by the time you all are hearing this. Uh, But Uh, Pre-health advising at Penn State outgrew our cute little canvas page. And so we had to find a solution that we weren't six times too big for. (laughs) And so we've developed a SharePoint site where we can have current students and alumni be able to access all of our information. You can access our financial resources, which includes um, sort of like a cart to select these discounted AAMC materials. And you can save a good bit of money by buying them through us. And that includes things like an MSAR subscription. So it's not just MCAT materials. It can also be other things that are really helpful to you in the application cycle. Do we have any other big things that we wanted to hit on? <sighs> you know, I think as long as like the big takeaways are this needs to be taken on a timeline that makes sense for me to do the best that I can. And the application timing needs to be dependent on my readiness for the MCAT and not the other way around. Those are like some of the biggest like hits for me and asking the right questions to figure out what's right for you. What makes our work so enjoyable is that there's no one single right answer for every student, for everything. It is really taking in your personal background, your personal resources, your experiences, and what though that mix of things tells us is best to move forward. So, you know, 
if you come armed with tons of information of like, this is where I'm at, this is how I did, these are the things that I'm concerned about, we can really help you do something really customized to you. Now, we can't resolve it all for you. We only have so much time to be able to do like a full-fledged MCAT plan. Could I help a student do that? Sure. Do I have anywhere close to the amount of time to do that for all of our students? No. So we give you a lot of resources. We give you a lot of structure. We give you a lot of advice. And you can design your plan. We'll take a look at it, but we can't design it for you. But we'll give you lots of advice on how to maximize it. When you are talking, one last question. Sure. When you're talking to your current students, mm-hmm. and they come in the fall semester. Yeah. And they think that they want to apply the following spring and they will have taken all of their prerequisites by the end of the fall. Mm-hmm. Do you have specific guidance that you give them on preparing for MCAT? So, yes. And I don't know if everyone will agree with this, but I say if it's August and we're having this conversation at this moment, plan to take it in January and work towards that. And if things are going well and that feels like good and you feel well prepared, then keep that timeline. But if you're getting closer, like if we're in November, December and you're like, yo, dog, this ain't it. You have the flexibility to be able to change up your plan. Don't be afraid to flex that time frame to make sense when you have these things that come up. We all live very complex lives. Nobody has it like impossibly easy, right? Even our most privileged students, they're still balancing a lot if they're on this track in these preparations let your experiences guide the decisions that you're making. Let the circumstances of your life guide the decisions that you need to make around this. So allow yourself that flexibility. January is a great time to take it because you know months in advance what you're playing with and what that is going to be interpreted from an admissions perspective, right? You know what you're going to look like. But pushing it back to March or April, that's totally fine. But if you start off with like, I what's the latest I can take this next year and we're in August, I'm like, I don't think we should apply. If you're not feeling ready already, we have already run into a problem. Whatever the question is, when is the latest I can take this? Yeah. Then we need to be having another conversation. Yep. We shift it. Is this the right application year? Because – then we'll go for the latest that you can take it that summer because it seems like you're looking for a late summer test date Mm -hmm. and you'll spend all that time prepping. You won't spend your time trying to work on other parts of the application or worrying about dates and timelines and verification. Mm -hmm. And you'll have everything nicely prepped and ready to go for a really early application the following year. And if we know one thing, it is that our early applicants definitely perform the best. They do. Without question, when we look at the data, it's stark. It's like... If the second week of June has passed, please consider putting on the brakes. It is almost black and white. It's really not even grayscale. It's pretty black and white. Yeah. It... There are so many things that you have some flexibility on in the application cycle and you can still be successful, right? And those are all things we can navigate. If you're not ready to apply 
nice and early, that's not sending a wonderful message. And this is data specific to Penn State students. Correct. So we're not giving you data for students across the country or within the medical school application system itself. This yep. is data specific to Penn State students. Yeah. And we're not going to give you advice that we can't back up. Everything that we tell you is based on data that we've collected, evaluated. Thank goodness we have Mark on our team because he has been able to pull a lot of things we knew anecdotally. But Mark has really put like numbers and clarity behind it. So he's such a wonderful team member for us to have because we've gone from being like, we know this to be true based on our perception of things to like, we know this to be true based on the numbers and facts that are measurable. So, yeah, you don't have to be ready 12.01 the day the application opens, nope. but, like, you should be pretty close mm -hmm. to ready right around the start. And if you're not feeling ready and you're feeling rushed, it's not a good sign that this is the right cycle for you. It does not mean you're not a good applicant. Not at all. doesn't even mean that you wouldn't get in that year. Nope. It just means that you're not setting yourself up for the most success possible. And when you're spending several thousand dollars... And that the mental hoops that yes. you jump through to get through this process, you want to set yourself up for the best possible scenario. Yeah. I So like we work with reapplicants a good bit too. And a lot of times they didn't necessarily work with our office a lot the first time, but they did the second time. And so they have super early applications and they're like, I already have interviews. This is crazy. And I'm like, well... We didn't apply in August or, you know, we were a lot more intentional about a lot of the things that we did in the application. It's a lot more complex than just early, but the people who apply early tend to have put a lot more thought and preparation into their materials. If you're trying to squeeze all of that really good, thoughtful application preparation and preparation for the MCAT in at the same time, and we see this with students, they have to pick one or the other. And almost always they say, I'm going to focus on the MCAT and my application will be sort of whatever. It's not really good. Both need to be like singing in the same choir. They need to be in harmony. They cannot be dissonant. They cannot be singing different songs at different venues. <laughs> you know? Yes. A choir is not good if they're not all together. <laughs> yeah. I always say pre-health advising is not about deadlines. It's about opening dates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do not ask me when the deadline is for something. You've made a mistake. I do not want to talk about deadlines. If you ask me what the deadline is, I'm going to tell you the opening date for the next year. So deadlines are not for regular applicants. Deadlines are for people who have early assurance agreements, who are in BSMD programs, who and honestly, a lot of those deadlines are for people who are in post-bac programs that are doing linkage agreements. That deadline does not exist for you, the normal applicant. That, that Those are for other students in different processes trying to gain admission. So I 100% agree it is about opening dates, not closing dates, especially in medical school and dental and PA and optometry. And, and, and a little bit of podiatry. <laughs> if you want to have lots of options, always apply early. This is a conversation that I actually had with high school students too. 
because with college admissions, you have an easier chance of getting in the earlier you apply. Even with less than average metrics, you have a higher chance of getting an acceptance the earlier you apply. So this is nothing new. We're just telling you that it exists. You've just been operating within it a system that has never told you that this is part of the system. And we don't agree that you shouldn't be in the know. Yeah. So that's why we're here. All right. I think that's it. I think it? that we have myth busted the MCAT. Like I said, we're I'm gonna, not even going to look at how long it took us. It's, um, it's not one of our shortest episodes. <laughs> it's not a short. <laughs> Hopefully it was a good one, y'all. Hopefully yeah. you find it beneficial. And as always, we are happy to have individual conversations about all of this, but we want to give you a starting point here on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you all again, and we'll see you next week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across our university system.